If I haven't met you before, my name is Lee Murray. I'm the, the lead pastor, church planter here at Established Church. And, and basically, under God, over the last uh, number of months with a team of people, uh, we've been working together um, for one single vision of seeing hundreds of people establish life in Jesus uh, in Cronulla in the Sutherland Shire. And we've been really blessed that each week we've kind of come here, I stand up the front and I see more and more people that I don't uh, recognize, new people that are kind of coming in. And that's really, uh, really exciting. But if you've just kind of walked into church for the first time, uh, let, let me just say to you, basically what we do is we sing, um, we, we, we actually sing uh, in church because we're singing words about God to God. Um, to each other. That's what we do. A bit like when you go to a football match, you, you sing and champion uh, the team that you're focusing on. The songs that we sing, we sing because we want to champion Jesus because we believe that he brings life. And we also read the Bible um, because we believe that the core way, and we, we want you to come and be in church regardless of where you feel you're at in terms of your relationship with Jesus. And we hope that you come and wrestle with us with questions. Um, but we believe that life and Jesus is actually found primarily in the Bible, in fact, in the Bible entirely. Um, and, uh, and as we hear the words of him and his teaching, that we get to know him, we get to know what he's like. So we actually teach from the Bible every week, and we work through it. And that's what we're going to do today. But just, um, I just want to correct a little bit about what Mark said. Um, we're only going to focus on two verses actually verses 13 and 14 today. Um, if you want to hear more about some of that crazy heavy stuff uh, that happens later on in the passage, you're going to have to come back in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll deal with that uh, then. But for today, we're going to focus on one core um, aspect of, of the kingdom of God and just set up some uh, things that will help us understand Mark's gospel. But I'm going to pray before we get into it. Pray with me. Um, Father God, I just um, thank you that we have an opportunity to come in here from your word. Lord, regardless of where we have come from, uh, regardless of where we view ourselves in relation to you and uh, Christianity and, and, and all of that stuff, Lord, I, I pray that your spirit will be at work um, today, that you will help us to lay aside um, some of the barriers that we have, that you will help us to um, maybe approach um, this that may be familiar for some of us in a new way. Um, help us to see, Father, that the thing that we need most is your kingdom to break through into this world. And just pray and these things in your name. Amen. It's pretty obvious when we look around that there's something profoundly wrong with the world that we live in. I, I don't know about you, but my, my Facebook news feed is just constantly awash with news of shootings in America, with people that I know from back at home in Northern Ireland who have committed suicide, and people uh, who are just expressing and telling a story um, of the fact that they live in a world that seems as though something's kind of broken, that something's gone uh, profoundly wrong. Do, do you see that in your newsbook feed? Yeah, I, I see that. It's kind of pretty obvious. Even only this week, um, not only have we had the shootings in America, we had a, a police officer in Parramatta shot just a few days ago. I, I don't think we, we, you need me to stand up here and tell you that, that you know um, deep down that there's something actually wrong with the world that we live in. And in actual fact, if we look um, at the stories and the songs and the art that, that, that people have produced down through the ages 
throughout all times, and even in the most remote parts of this world, we actually get a picture that this isn't just a Western problem. It's, it's not just something that impacts you here and now in Cronulla in 2015. This is something that has actually pervaded the whole way and throughout the history of man to the all corners of the earth. Now, I don't believe that the world's square, right? But you know what I mean by that, don't you? This, this thing that we seem to see is just something that's all pervasive. And, and I think um, this artist um, really captures the world that we live in quite well. I'm going to pop up five pictures, and, and hopefully they resonate with you and start to paint a picture of the reality of the world that we live in today. And as you look at them, I want you just to ask, is this, the title's not meant to be there, but, but is, is this something that paints the right picture? Has this been your experience? Is this what you see when you look around? We can go through them a little bit slower. Now, if you're not an arty type, <laughs> your brain might be having to work overtime to process these, but, but hopefully you get the gist. Right? This, this artist is trying to paint a picture for us, trying to help us to understand the world that we live in. But you know what? I, I don't think we need artists like this to show us that, do we? I, I don't think we actually need to log on to our Facebook and see our newsfeed to know, because I believe that each one of us inherently knows deep down that there's something profoundly wrong with the world, or at least that it shouldn't suck quite as much as it should. That's actually why we have multiple stories in our culture of a savior who will come and save the world, of someone who will fly in, who will pick us up out of this world, out of the depths of whatever it is that's going on, and deal with all of the people who are bad justly and save those who are good. Superman, Neo, whoever your superhero is, you name it, it's there to help us make sense of the world because deep down we know there's something wrong and we long for it to be different. That's why we tell the stories we do. That's why we write the songs that we write. That's why we paint the pictures that we paint. The Bible is a true story. And it's a true story that actually helps us make sense of this world that we live in. And the reason it tells us that we have this inner kind of feeling that there's something wrong with the world is that the world was not made like this. That actually there was a time where the world was good and in fact it was very good where men, where people actually lived under the kingship and under the rule of the God who made the world, and he sought their good, and they sat under his blessing, and things were sweet. But actually, something went wrong with that story. You see, we're told in the story that, that men, they turned their back on God, that they actually set up their own kingdom and said, look, no, we want to do it ourselves, and pretty much straight away from the start of that, we see vulnerability creeping in. We see chauvinism creeping in, sickness, pain, murder, deceit, all kind of creeping in in the very first couple of chapters of this story 
of the Bible in Genesis. You can have a look at it later yourself. And we see ultimately death creeping in. Now, you've probably heard the saying, too many cooks spoil the broth. Have you heard that saying? Yeah? I think the story of the Bible tells us that too many kings spoil the world. That's what it tells us. You see, ever since the beginning of time when man turned their back on God and they set up their own little kingdom apart from Him, we've seen all of these things in the world. We've had this kind of feeling that this is just not quite right. It's not quite the way that it was intended. And ever since that time, we've longed for a hero. We've actually longed for someone or something to come along and save us. Science, education, an ideology, a political idea, maybe a new job or, or more money, self-improvement, whatever it is that, that would kind of purge away the bad in our lives and just bring only the good. But whatever it is that would kind of set aside the things that we know that are just not quite on the money in our experience and leave the things that just feel sweet, leave the things that feel good. And and in actual fact, the Jewish people, the people that this book would have been written to, the Jewish people and the, the, the Greeks that kind of knew much of this story, they actually longed for something like that as well. And, and you know, actually, along this story of the Bible, they believed that God would one day, at His appointed time, that He would bring just a Savior, that He would bring a Messiah, that they would bring a hero who would come in and who would actually bring and deal with all of the pain and the suffering and the evil in the world and save His people. That's what they longed for. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for someone to deal with all of the things that they knew was wrong in the world that they lived in. And and last week we saw, didn't we, if you were here, that Jesus is actually this Messiah. That that Jesus is actually this one that they've been waiting for. And and we saw that He was the revolutionary Messiah. He was 100% man. 100% God, and because of that, He was able to enter into our experience with us, and He would be the one who would fix the world. He would be the person that would fix the world that we live in. And today, we're going to see that Jesus' revolutionary mission, the reason that He came was to fix the world through bringing His revolutionary kingdom, which requires a revolutionary response. That's what we're going to see. We're going to look at two things. Revolutionary kingdom, revolutionary response. We're going to spend most of our time in that first point, largely to try and build up some ideas that will help you as we go through Mark's gospel together to help you kind of understand what that looks like. So we're going to spend most of our time there, and then we're going to look at the revolutionary response. Are you with me? Two points, revolutionary kingdom, revolutionary response. Have a look at verse 14 in your Bible or in the handout that you have there. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. 
Now, this is the first time that Jesus speaks in Mark's gospel, and, and, and that kind of shows you that this is pretty important, what he's just said. Because you see, what he's saying here is what Mark is trying to highlight for us is Jesus' mission. He's trying to show us that Jesus' revolutionary mission was to come and fix the world through his revolutionary kingdom. It wouldn't just be a band-aid. It wouldn't just be something that skates over the surface. It wouldn't just be something that kind of comes in for a time and then fades away. Now, it would actually be something that would be all-inclusive and something that would last the whole way into eternity. That that's what they were expecting. That's what Mark is expecting us to hear when he tells us about it. This would be the remedy. This would be the cure. This would be the thing that our hearts long for. Have a listen to these two prophecies, these two kind of stories that were told a number of hundred years before Jesus came in the Old Testament that point to this coming Messiah. You can have a look at it on the screen. Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness in the streams in the desert. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and the river to the ends of the earth. Now, there's lots of things in those two passages that would take us the whole um, day to get dug into, but there's two things that I want you to get, and hopefully you heard it shining through as we read those two passages. The coming kingdom is about judgment and salvation. The coming kingdom is about the time when the king will come and bring judgment and salvation. And it would be that thing that would fix the world that we live in. You see, the story of the Bible is that when God's appointed king comes, he would come in judgment to all of those who oppose him. He would come and he would be the one who would bring justice. He would scatter all of those that set up kingdoms um, around him. They would scatter those and judge those who rejected him. It, it would actually be all-encompassing. It would be a judgment and a justice that was brought that would deal with all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the evil, all of the things that we know that just aren't quite right with the world. That's what would happen when this coming king would come. That's what these people had in their minds when they read these words, repent and believe the kingdom of God has come near. Now, judgment is something that we recoil against, isn't it? 
And, and in actual fact, you may um, be here today as someone who has maybe been at the hands of heavy-handed judgment, of unjust, unloving judges, maybe even of Christians and churches that have treated you badly. I, I understand that. I, I get that. It's not easy to talk about this idea of judgment. But I want to say that, that in actual fact, justice and judgment is something that we long for. Why? You see, when we're confronted with another shooting in America like we have been this week, and, and, and our hearts just sink, or we feel anger, the reason why we feel that way it's because we know that that's not the way the world was meant to be. We're actually feeling that way because we want justice to be served. And, and if the person that shot those people in America this week or any other thing that you can think of, if they were to walk free without any judgment, without any retribution, how would you feel? How would the families feel? cry out for justice, wouldn't we? We would cry out that it wasn't fair. We would cry out because we knew that what was needed was justice. We know that the thing that fixes the world is something that will come and deal with all of the pain and all of the suffering, something that will bring justice. You see, peace can't be brought about without dealing with the core of the problem. This coming kingdom cannot come and fix the world definitively without justice. It can't. Guys, we don't need a divine grandfather up on earth or up in heaven who just sits down and looks at us and says everything is okay. We don't need that, do we? We need justice. We need someone who will come and bring justice to a broken world. We need someone who will come and judge rightly and fairly. We need someone who will come that is ultimately seeking our good and seeking the good of the world that was created. We need someone who will come and bring justice for the poor. We need someone who will come and bring justice for the oppressed. We need someone who will come and bring justice for the marginalized, justice for the abused, justice for the refugees, justice for inequality. We need someone who will come and actually say to fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come with justice. Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, He will come with vengeance. But we also see that this coming kingdom brings salvation. It actually brings salvation. He will come to save. That's what we just read, wasn't it? He will come to save. The blind will see. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. We even read of this barren land having waters that just gush from it. It's kind of a symbol to show that the whole world will actually be made new that he will bring salvation, that there would be a time actually when the coming king would come that we would just hit the rewind button and we would go right the way back to the start, to the time 
where things were good to the times where things were just sweet. That's what they thought. A time where people would be in perfect relationship with God. A time where their good was just sought by God who loved them and them following their God. A time where relationships weren't broken but restored. A time where bodies weren't sick but well. That's what they were longing for. That's what they were waiting for. And that's what they thought when this coming king would come. That that's what would happen. Do you long for that? You know, in some ways, all of this is so outside of our experience, isn't it? It's actually hard for us to grasp. But I think actually deep down, the reason why we tell the stories that we do, write the songs that we write, and paint the artwork that we paint is because we long for this kind of reality. We long for a king who would actually come down, bring his kingdom, and fix the world. How long for that? And this is exactly what the Jews thought. But what they thought was that this coming kingdom would look a little bit like this. Sorry that that's a little bit small. What they believed was that, that essentially that this king, that this rescuer would come at a single point in time. That they were in the current age and that this kind of like ripped king would come and he would come at a particular point in time and bring both judgment and salvation. Boom, that would be it. The kingdom of God had come. They would go into the age to come, into the, the golden age or the age of the kingdom of God. They would be with their God. God would be their king. They would be his people. Everything would be restored and everything would be sweet. They believed that this would be a single one-off event. But Jesus comes along and he actually revolutionizes their view of the kingdom because what he does is he doesn't come in like a conquering king. He actually climbs down off his throne and onto the cross. He actually climbs out of the heavens and comes down into this world. But he doesn't come to bring judgment. He comes to save the world. Now, you can have a look at this later, but in John's gospel, Jesus himself, in chapter 12, verse 47, he said, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. You see, the solution to our broken world is not a one-off event of judgment and salvation. I want you to get this, because Jesus revolutionizes that idea and shows us that the solution is salvation now and judgment later. And it looks a little bit more like this. So essentially, and what we see in this story of the Bible is that, that before Jesus, that was kind of like the current age. That was the time that they were waiting for this Messiah to come. But instead of coming like a conquering king, he comes down and he steps onto the cross he dies for the sin. He takes the full weight of God's justice, of his wrath on the cross, and then he ascends. He actually raises from the dead. He ascends back up into his kingdom. And we kind of continue to live because the world didn't end, did it, with Jesus? It, it didn't. It continued. 
But one day, we're told, that Jesus, the king, would actually come back. And at that point, he would come back and bring judgment. At that point, he would come back and right all of the wrongs in the world. At that point, he would come back and bring justice. This is kind of a picture of the story of the world. And when he comes back, then we will enter into the age to come. That then we will actually enter into his kingdom where we will be with this king. Do you see? You see, Jesus revolutionizes their idea of the kingdom because he says it's not judgment and salvation that comes together, but it's salvation now and judgment later. Now, that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, tells us this thing that I think is one of the most awesome things in the whole story. He says, now is the time of salvation. You see, Jesus coming and proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come near is only good news. It's actually only good news because he came at that point in time to bring salvation. If he had come to bring both salvation and judgment at that point in time, that would be it. But because he longs for people to turn back to him, he came in salvation. We're actually told that he's prolonging his return so that people would come to him. See, guys, this would not be good news at all. This would actually be terrifying news. Absolutely horrifying news. And it's only good news for us because of the cross. Now, if you're just new with us and you haven't heard much about that, you'll have to chat to some people afterwards. But we've been working out um, that one of the things that Jesus does is that he came to die on the cross for sin. But for us, there is no way that this idea of Jesus coming to judge the world, whether it would have been 2,000 years ago or salvation back then and judgment later, there is no way that that is good news without the message of the cross. You see, Jesus knew that his sole mission when he came to the earth was to die on a cross. It was to wear a crown of thorns, not a crown made of gold. It was actually come to come and definitively fix the world that we live in. And you see, without the cross, we sit under God's judgment. Because you see, if, if Jesus is to come again and to judge the world and to judge everyone in the world, that means that he's going to judge me. That, that, that actually means that he's going to look into my heart, into my motives, into the things that I have done that I know that I shouldn't have done, the things that I haven't done that I know that I should have done, the things that I just want to hide away and sweep under the carpet. Because you see, if Jesus comes again to judge the world, if he's actually truly going to fix the world that we live in, that judgment has to be all-encompassing. It actually has to include the whole world. Or else part of the story that we just long to forget would creep in to this new coming kingdom 
that this story talks about in the Bible. See, God can't turn a blind eye to sin. He can't actually turn a blind eye to the injustices that I have caused. His justice needs to be fully met. That's one of the hardest things about the story of Christianity. But here's one of the most awesome things of the story of Christianity. God's justice was met fully at the cross. God's justice was met fully at the cross for those who would believe in Jesus. God's justice at the cross meant that salvation would come. Jesus' revolutionary mission was to fix the world by bringing in his kingdom through the cross. It was actually the only way. It was actually the only way that would make a way for us to enter into that kingdom, to enter into relationship again with God. It's only the cross that sees punishment paid in full. Because actually the full weight of sin came down on Jesus. That's the story of the Bible. It's on the cross that Jesus fixes the world. It's on the cross that Jesus actually gets right to the heart of sin. It's on the cross that we see God's justice and his salvation actually just bursting forth. It's on the cross where we see God's love and God's judgment come together. It's on the cross where we see his wrath and his mercy at the same time. That is phenomenal. And if you haven't kind of dug into what that looks like yet, you should. Because that is one of the most amazing, most awesome parts of the Christian message. The question is, though, isn't it? If Jesus actually came to fix the world, why does it still suck? Yeah? You know what I mean? Like, like if he was going to come and, and fix the world definitively, why does it still look as though the world is in a mess? Well, it's because when Jesus brought the kingdom, he brought the kingdom truly, but he didn't bring the kingdom fully. He brought the kingdom truly, but he didn't bring the kingdom fully. This is why Jesus goes on in Mark's gospel in chapter 4 to tell this parable about a mustard seed. He tells a parable that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It doesn't come crashing down as a one-off event. No, no, no. It's like a mustard seed. It's, when you look at it, it looks like something so small and teeny and insignificant, but actually the reality is that that will grow, and it is indeed a mustard tree, the biggest tree in the garden. And Jesus is actually trying to draw a contrast here so that we get a bit of a deeper picture of what the kingdom of God is like. The healing the sick, when Jesus he gives hope to the poor, he raises people from the dead... All of the things that we read Jesus doing in Mark's gospel are only a tiny, tiny glimpse of what this kingdom 
is actually truly like. Of what this kingdom will be like when we see it in its fullness, when we see it as the, as the tree in that picture. It's actually far more magnificent than the things that we read earlier. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. Now, this has been something that's actually really confused me for a long time, uh, trying to work out what Jesus meant there and how, how does that relate um, to us? Because, you know, on, on one level, Jesus came as the king. On, on one level, it wasn't that he kind of just brought the kingdom at that point. No, 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 the kingdom was always there. God has always been king. Jesus has always been king of this world. It's probably a little bit more like the way that the sun bursts through the clouds. Now, now I live in Ireland, right? So that only happens about once or twice a year. You just get this little kind of blip of the sun coming through. It's not that the sun has all of a sudden appeared, is it? No, no, no. It's that the sun was actually always there. And probably once or twice a year in Ireland, we get a little glimpse of it. Here... In Jesus, we get a true glimpse of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God. We actually get a true glimpse of the king himself. But when we look at it, he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. When we look at it, he doesn't look like a conquering king at all. When we look at the Christian life and the claims that it makes... It kind of, when it still feels broken, it looks like what Christianity promises, it just doesn't do what it says. Because we still struggle with sin, because we see the reality of the kingdom. We see it truly, but we don't see it fully. We still kind of live in this space between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. When we look at the community in our church and we get discouraged by it, when we see the cracks that actually appear, what we need to see is that all we are seeing when God's working in and through us is a glimpse of the kingdom. We're not fully there yet. Things have not been fully restored. When we're struggling with sin in our lives, even as Christians, when we're struggling to put off the old self and put on the new, we need to realize that our experience now, that what we see is just but a little mustard seed. There will be a time when the coming kingdom comes in fully, but we will no longer struggle with sin. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for a time when you don't have regrets anymore? Actually, my first couple of years as a Christian, I really, really struggled with all of the things that God was showing me in my life. And I just wanted to die. I actually regularly prayed, Lord, just take me now so I don't need to deal with any of this stuff anymore. It was hard. Some of us are struggling with sickness and ill health. Some of you will struggle with sickness and ill health. And I'm kind of standing here telling you that the kingdom of God has come and it's the solution for that. But we need to remember that where we see the kingdom truly when Jesus came 
We don't have it fully. But we're actually still going to struggle with sickness. We're still going to die. But here's what we do know. We do know that even though what we look at is just like a mustard seed, the reality is far, far different. That even though when we look at Jesus, even though when we look at the Christian community, even though when we look at the world and the promises that Jesus makes and they seem so insignificant, that one day this king will return and bring all of those things into fruition. One day, all of the sickness, all of the pain, all of the tears will be swiped away and the world will be made new. That's an awesome thing. That's the awesome message of the gospel. That's why the coming kingdom is good news. Because he came to fix the broken world. Now, just because we only see the kingdom, or just because we don't see the kingdom fully, doesn't mean that we don't see it truly. Just because we don't see the kingdom fully, doesn't mean that we don't see aspects of this kingdom shining through like rays of sunshine on this world. And sometimes we forget that. Now, there's a guy called W.P. Nicholson. Um, Hopefully his mugshot will come up here. Um, He was a Northern Irishman. That's where I'm from. And I love reading this guy's story, right? He, He basically was a young preacher about the age of 23. He preached to loads of working class people. And within weeks of him preaching, thousands of people came to know Jesus. Thousands of people. And in fact, one of the organizations that he was part of saw an increase of like 100 or 200 percent or something over a period of three years. God was working through him as he proclaimed this good news of the kingdom and loads and loads of people came to know him. But something else happened. He actually saw that when the kingdom, the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus and the good news of Jesus, that it actually transformed people's hearts. It transformed people's lives. In fact, it transformed communities. Whole villages in Ireland kind of stepped out of drunkenness in the pub and in the church. Families were completely regenerated and put back together again because of this message of the gospel. Whole communities were completely transformed. And in fact, he preached regularly at the the Belfast um, boatyard where the Titanic was built. And, uh, and, And these were tough guys. He preached only to men because they were only guys that worked there. And after preaching to them, loads of them became Christians. And what they did was they actually started bringing back all of the things that they had stolen over the years because they knew that that was something that they ought not to have been doing, that their hearts were kind of transformed, you see. They started bringing them back, and they brought back so much stuff that they had to build a massive warehouse. And they called it the Nicholson Shed. They probably should have called it the Kingdom Shed, but you know what I mean. You see, that's just a small example of where, even though we don't see the gospel kingdom, even though we don't see the kingdom of God fully, we actually do see it truly. We see it truly when God impacts people's hearts. We see it truly when the gospel completely transforms people's lives. 
But there will be a time where we will see the kingdom fully. And that will be a time where God will bring judgment, which is why Jesus calls us here to a revolutionary response. Have a look again at verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's two things here that Jesus requires, and, and, and actually his words are really, really strong. Um, he, he, he is saying this imperatively. He, he's kind of saying, repent and believe. He's not kind of asking a question here because he knows that this thing that he is calling you to is so awesome and that this coming judgment that he will bring is so terrifying that he calls all people everywhere to repent and believe. Now, if you've come, in, if you've come along to establish for a while, you've, you've saw me doing this illustration that the, the part of the story from the beginning of the Bible is that we sinned against God. We, we basically turned our back on Him. We set up our own kingdom and, and we are walking through life with complete disregard for who He is as our own King. R repentance is taking off our crown, acknowledging that we're walking away from God and turning around to face God, to walk with Him with him as our king, with Jesus as our savior. That, that's, that's essentially what repentance is. It's essentially turning around. But there's something that I want to just pick up that I maybe haven't uh, brought out for you before. And, and that is when we think about repentance, it's not just turning around, it's actually turning back. Did you get that? It's not just turning around, it's actually turning back to God. That's the way the language is used the whole way throughout the Bible. What this means is that you were actually originally made for Him. That you were actually originally made to be in relationship with this God. So when you repent from setting up your own kingdom and your own sin, you're actually turning back home. You're actually turning back to the one who made you. You're actually turning back to the one who seeks your ultimate good. That's what repentance is. It's turning back. It's turning back to God. But we're also told here that we should believe now, on Friday morning, Joshua, my son, uh, if you haven't met him yet, he's seven years of age. We went for a walk along the Esplanade, and we went to the beach. We jumped into the water. It was pretty cool, but it was nice. And when we were in there, all of a sudden, I just saw Joshua panicking and going back to the, the sand. I'm like, Josh, what's wrong? What, what's, what's wrong with you? He saw a blue bottle in the water. And, and he actually had read somewhere that blue bottles or Portuguese man of war actually kill people. So you can imagine kind of like the look of terror on his face. He was like getting back into the ocean as quick as he could. Now, I said to him that it was okay, that, that blue bottles don't kill people, right? So he stayed, but he was still really worried that he would get stunned. But this blue bottle um, just had kind of like the top part. All of the tentacles had just kind of congealed up in and around. And I started to explain to him that it was okay that blue bottles, the only stingy part in a blue bottle are the tentacles. 
that that's the bit that stings. The part at the top doesn't actually sting you. Now, he knew that that was true. But he didn't believe. Because you see, even though what I did was I kind of said, right, okay, Joshua. He said, no, I know, Dad, I, I know. I, I reached out my finger and I actually touched it. And I, I touched it a couple of times. But even though Joshua had all of that information, even though he could actually add up one plus one, and he saw me touching it and not getting stung, he didn't actually believe. That is until he reached out and touched it himself. But the strangest thing happened, right? Even when he reached out and touched it, he went, ah! and he screamed because he thought it was still going to sting him. Belief, believing in Jesus is more than just knowing about Jesus. Belief actually requires knowing and doing. It actually requires you to put your entire life in the hands of Jesus. It actually requires you to do something. It's not just knowing who he is. It's believing in what he has done for you. That's what it means here when he says to believe. <laughs> it requires action. Now, I know that some of you might be here and you kind of know that there's something in this Jesus stuff. You've actually watched some of your friends coming to faith. You've actually seen them living a life of believing in Jesus. And you know a lot about him. Maybe you went to Christian school or you grew up in a church. You know a lot about him, but you don't actually believe in him. Jesus calls you to believe in him. To actually abandon your kingdom and put complete trust in him and his coming kingdom. He actually calls you to trust him with your entire life. Now, some of you may actually have even tried Christianity, right? You were maybe a little bit like Joshua, and you stuck your finger out, and you touched. But you recoil back again because you thought that it was still uh, stinging you, or you give it a crack, but you were a bit stung at the start. It didn't really seem to work. But I reckon that if that was your experience, you maybe weren't trusting and believing Jesus. It may have been that you just knew about him, but not truly believed. Jesus tells us that now is the time. Now. Now is the time to repent and believe. You see, the only way that this kingdom will be good news for us is if we put our trust in Jesus. But this radical response, right, isn't just for people who are turning to Jesus. Christians, the Christian life, is actually a life of repentance and faith. It's actually a life of repentance and belief. Not for our salvation, but, but actually just as we journey through life, there's all sorts of reasons why we don't actually believe God. Isn't that right? It's right, isn't it? There's all sorts of things that we don't trust Jesus with. We find it hard when we look at this world that's still broken to trust 
that Jesus will actually come back again and fix it. We find it hard to believe that God and Jesus wants our ultimate good when we look at the prohibitions in the Bible and it seems as though it squashes our good. We find it hard to believe that if we give up our everything for Jesus because He has given everything for us, that our lives will be infinitely better. We actually find it hard to believe and trust God, trust Jesus with our relationships, with our money, with our sickness, with our security. And instead, a lot of the time, we walk through our Christian life trusting in who? Himself, don't we? You see, the Christian life is a continual life of repentance and faith. It's actually so radical that it permeates your entire life. Guys, <laughs> Jesus brings the kingdom truly. He brought the kingdom truly when he came over 2,000 years ago to die on the cross. He actually fixed the world definitively. It just looks like a mustard seed. One day he will bring it back fully. Regardless of what it is that you're struggling with today, he will fix a broken world. That's what we see in Mark's gospel. And even though we see it truly, one day it will actually come about fully. That's the message of the gospel. And as we live in this kind of stage between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, guess what? We live by repentance and faith. As we live in this stage between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, we at established church get out there and proclaim the good news of this coming king. Because now is the time for salvation. While we live in this stage between Jesus' first coming and his return, that means that the kingdom of God is open for you because now is the time for salvation. This is phenomenal stuff. Jesus' revolutionary mission to fix the world was to bring his revolutionary kingdom through the cross, which requires a revolutionary response. That's why it's good news. Amen. I'm just going to pray. Um, Father God, I just... Um,